Good morning to you, church. Thankful you got up. You're here. Take your Bibles and turn with me for scripture reading, please, to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel. It may be that uh, this is a part of the Bible that you don't dive into often. I'd like to partly remedy that this morning and go to the book of Ezekiel in chapter 37. I'm going to read from verse 21 to 28. And then we're going to go over to the book of Hebrews and look in chapter 11. I'm going to read uh, verses 8 through 10 there. All right, are you with me? Track with me. And I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard, uh, but beginning in Ezekiel chapter 37, beginning at verse 20, 21. Now, for the young people who may not have any idea who Ezekiel is, and for others who only think of Ezekiel bread, this is uh, this Ezekiel was a prophet of God over 2,600 years ago. God came to him in visions. He gave him his word. God gave the words that Ezekiel was to speak to the captives who were in Babylon. And some of those visions were so vivid, so clear, so immediate in experience that it appears that he was actually there in Jerusalem, but he wasn't. But what he's doing He's talking to, preaching to, prophesying to a people who are in dire straits. It's about as down as you could get, hauled off into an, an idol-infested culture and away from the city of Jerusalem, the temple, the city, gone. It was the lowest point in Israel's experience. With that in mind, this is part of what he says without getting further into semantic importance, important matters, follow with me, this is what he's saying. He's looking to the future. Stay with me. And say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations where they have gone and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the morning, on the, excuse me, on the mountains of Israel. And one king will be king for all of them. And they will no longer be two nations. And they will no longer be divided into two kingdoms. And they will no longer defile themselves with their idols or with their detestable things or with any of their transgressions but I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned and will cleanse them and they will be my people and I will be their God and my servant David will be king over them and they will all have one shepherd and they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them and they shall live on the land that I gave to Jacob, my servant, in which your fathers lived, and they will live on it, they and their sons, and their sons' sons, forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. And I will make a covenant of peace with them, and will be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place also will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. 
and the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Now, let's go over to the book of Hebrews, please. The book of Hebrews. I'm going to read it in the 11th chapter. For those who may not be really familiar with this book, I can tell you this much, that it was written by a Hebrew Christian. Some think it was the Apostle Paul, possibly. And it was written to Hebrew Christians. And it was written somewhere in the seventh, uh, well, it was before 70 AD, and written to them to encourage them in the midst of their difficulties. You know, when you're with Christ in this life and this planet, you are going to have hardships. And so here is a word of encouragement from this hall of faith. And in chapter 11, a number of Old Testament faith livers are pointed out. Here they are, beginning at verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise and as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Well, we have some things to say and to do, to think about and to be the occasion for our worshiping and loving our Lord more. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we do give you thanks for the abundant mercies. You indeed have shed your grace on us. We thank you, Father, that though there was certainly a mix of things in this fallen world as it is, that yet you did place in the minds of many of those founders of our nation. You placed with them a legacy of truth that had been lived and preached by your people in other lands, they came from England and Scotland and Ireland in those early days, and they came with a Christian worldview. Lord, we believe that you put it in their minds. And as a result, Lord, out of that came an understanding of how government should be devised. And such a government that we were given, which is so unique in the history of the family of nations reflecting so many biblical truths. Thank you for that mercy to us, Lord. We strayed from it so many ways. God, we need to ask for forgiveness and mercy to us. We seem to, so many seem to be walking away with this is clenched, Lord. People who want to, who seem to be in such a feverish pursuit of going after the unborn. Oh, Lord, it must, it grieves our hearts. So it must grieve you. And Father, there are those among us who are not well, not been well. Some would like to be here not well. Oh, these bodies, weak and frail and fragile as they are, in which, Lord, we can praise you in our movement toward your presence, to the gates, to glory, for your kingdom that's coming on this earth one day, and then to enjoy the eternal kingdom. So gladden their hearts and ours this morning with that hope. Pray for Suzanne Powell, Lord, as she now recovers from the stroke, multiple strokes, so many days, times in the hospital. Oh, give her and Troy, give them the 
the, uh, the spiritual stamina they need, that they will not, uh, they will not uh, stumble and fall and give up. But Lord, they'll be whole on to confidence in you. Give them great witness to others through this as they live through these difficult times. Thank you that she's come from the hospital, coming from the hospital to come home again. That's a good, gladdening news. Thank you for your mercies to her. Keep them both in that mind. And a father now, we do pray for that, oh, that awful war that is taking place in Israel, Israel and Hamas. God, we pray for this little tiny nation. Lord, so many there have no mind for you. That's a grief. So many do not, but really are there because of your beneficence, because of your mercy, because of your grace, your sovereign hand. You've placed them there for things that many may not know of. There is a coming one day of Messiah. His feet will touch down upon the Mount of Olives just in time to save a remnant of those Jewish believers who have been holding out for you. Oh, that we may see many come to Christ. I think of Wes and Lori Tabor serving as they do among the Jewish people. Bless their work today. Wherever Wes is preaching, teaching, they serve today. Give them outreach, and may the hearts of your people be glad. Now, open, our, open the word to our eyes that we'll see, understand, love you more, because we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, my memory is good on this one. I remember 1978, um, and I remember it for this reason. I drove down to this piece of property. It was 13, 13 acres we were looking at. And uh, the area around here was not as it appears now. It was not as busy, um, but the land was here. It was an open, rolling cow pasture. Cows, uh, there was a cattle drinking trough right <laughs> out there, by, probably by where some of you are. And it was, uh, it was 13 acres in northern Fayette County. And uh, as memory serves me correctly, and I have the one who is here who told me about it, Bill Thorne, he had contacted a, a real estate friend of his who told him about this land that was available. Well, it sounded like, where is it? Fayette County, oh my, that's the other side of the moon. We were, so it seemed to us, we were up there, north of here, up East Point area. And, but um, Bill, uh, I don't think Bill was with me when I came to that first press time. I, as I recall, I drove down here in my 1972 Volkswagen, and I got out and I looked over this piece of property, 13 acres. So I think we paid about $3,900 an acre for the, some, somewhere around $50,000, but we had the money saved up from about 1970 until that time, and we spent it all on the property. Okay, we've got land where we meet. <laughs> well, I'll shorten the story up that uh, we were able to save up some more and we were able to have an old-fashioned church wall raising building in 81, 82. But it was our hope coming down into this area and locating and it meant people would have to make changes in their own routes to church and new people we would meet and come here. That it was a, it was a, a look as best as we could do, not being omniscient of course, but at least we wanted to plant a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, a place where the Word of God was taught. We could have a place which is a ground zero for some missions, outreach to the world, and worshiping the Lord in this place and honoring Him. 
So was our prospect 46 years ago. Well, I'm going to tell you something about a man who had a prospect that was much grander than what I've just described. <laughs> Is that the Lord told Abraham that uh, he had called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees, a place not very far if you look on your maps and they give you some approximate locations. You can see that it's not far from the, it's in Iraq and down near the Persian Gulf and it was a pagan city. I mean, pagan as it can be, oh, what, this was over about 4,000 years ago. He said, I want you to go from here, Abram. And they went on up to a place in Haran, on up toward northern Syria, where that would be today. And then from that place, he journeyed on south and wagons west, wagons west. And so he came down to a land. And the, the thing about it is that he wasn't told a whole lot about it. The Lord didn't give him any PowerPoint display on here it is now. Here's where you're going. No maps, no atlases, nothing you couldn't go to Syria, you couldn't go to maps. <laughs> and he just, the Lord told him to go into this land. So go west, by northwest, then south. And in Genesis 25, 24, uh, 12, 5, he took Sarah, his wife, wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had, got, they had gathered, the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came, they came to the land of Canaan. Now, what in the world did he find in Canaan? Well, without getting into too much history and geography, which always fascinates me, it was a land that didn't look a lot like it does today. It looks, some places it looks like the moon landscape, but no, it was a flourishing, bountiful, the trees hadn't been cut down. It, uh, it, it was a, a place that was uh, good for the eyes to see. And it was a place, though, the most significant thing and the most difficult thing about it, it was a pagan, totally pagan land, Israel. Canaan, Canaan. It was uh, idols and just a, a despicable, uh, repulsive, evil, perverted system of worship of nature is essentially what it was. It was a worship of the environment and worship of, of uh, sex and in, uh, all it, in its perverted forms. And so this was where Abram came. And he didn't even own any real estate there. He just had been promised that. So that was the prospect. That was the place. That was Abram's land. And we've got a conflict going on in the Middle East right now. You are following it, aren't you? I hope you are. I hope your bubble is not too little. Um, Keep up with it as you can. You ought to be praying. We ought to be praying about that. It's significant, theologically significant, much so. And so here we are. What are we hearing? I can't parse all these words or explain and define them yet, but we're hearing a lot of confusing vocabulary. I, it's, it's incredible. I know a little bit about the history and the, and the background of this. I'm not an expert. You know what they say experts are, people just away from home. And, uh, but I know a little bit, and then I would hear this language being used, and i say, where, who, where did these people get this stuff? They're making it up. Things like uh, colonization? Who's colonizing? Where, where do you, where'd you get that? Who told you? Settlers? Settlers? I think of the Old West, ranchers. Wait, wait a minute. And then there are other terms that do need to be explained. Zionism? What's that? Palestine, where did that name come from? 
The Lord didn't tell Abram, said, I want you to go down to Palestine, please. <laughs> it was Canaan, inhabited by the Canaanites. And so there were. You know, the land which the Lord promised Abram was uh, quite a really, uh, it, when, when you go to Genesis 15, it was quite a massive land grant that he said was in the future. All the way from down the river in Egypt, it was about 100 miles south of According to the, what I can see in Ezekiel chapter 48, there was, it was about 100 miles north of Damascus, would have been a, a, a boundary line to the north and to the east. And then the southern boundary down 100 miles south of Kadesh and south of Jerusalem. And so that was the land. Now, if Israel were currently, this is interesting to me, it is, I hope you pick up on this. If Israel were currently occupying, get that word. Now, that's a legitimate use of that word. Not that it's being misused, but not in this case. If Israel were currently occupying all the land, it would be present-day Israel, the little sliver about, was it 9,000 square miles? And it would include Lebanon. It would include the West Bank of the Jordan and substantial portions of Syria, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia. Whoa, <laughs> that is, uh, it gives us a, a perspective. We need a better perspective of it all. So that was the land, that was the promise, and Abram's life and story went on. I'm coming back to Abram. Some of you have got that verse sticking in your mind that we read from the book of Hebrews, and you think, well, Abram got over all this, and he was just journeying on to the heavenly city. Not so fast on your conclusions there. We're going to go to Hebrews and stop there and look at that. But I want us to take four steps. Four steps. Uh, no, step number two is going to be a little longer. We're going to go back to the Old Testament prophets. So have your Bibles in front of you. Because I don't have the verses up here on the screen. I have the outline and then you have that as well in your bulletin. But here's, we're going to take four steps. Here's the first step that there are different perspectives on Israel in the land. Okay. Uh, I, I think we need to know this just a little bit so that we can understand what we're, the kind of uh, environment we function in within evangelicalism. Now, I'm, I'm, there are ways that we could go, uh, directions we could go in a, in a wide thought of uh, political, uh, geographical, political issues, but here, let's start with this. There are those, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and this is what makes it a little awkward at times, and I'll be with some of those brothers this week, uh, who believe in what I call replacement theology. Now, they bristle at that. And they say, no, oh, this is not right. Replacement theology? No. Nothing's being replaced. It's just the continuity, the ongoing movement of God's people through the scriptures. Okay. But this view, and I stay with replacement, is that the modern Jewish state, according to this view of things, the modern Jewish state is purely an accident of history uh, within the understanding of the sovereignty of God that is totally unrelated to Bible prophecy. The rejection of Jesus as the Messiah, God rejected the Jewish people. Therefore, all the prophecies about the Jewish people are already fulfilled and no future restoration is in store. So the way this is count, recounted. And when I look in sources that I have here in front of me of what is said, uh, for example, God transferred, here's the way it goes. 
God transferred all his covenantal promises from Israel to the church and will fulfill them in the church. <laughs> and then naturally he got quit. Well, what about all that geography? What about all that real estate? Okay, we'll talk to that a bit later on. All right, I'm going to brush by this from time to time, but I want to tr kind of keep it on, on this focus on what God did promise Abraham and what we do find unfolded through the scriptures, especially in the prophets. Okay, stay with me. All right, so there's the replacement theology. Then there is a view that sees Israel, and I'm thinking about the relation of Israel to the land today, as kind of a, the, a restoration but no relevancy. <clears throat> restoration but no relevancy. This view says that <clears throat> God will gather the Jews to the promised land, but does not accept the modern Jewish state as the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Because Israel has not repented and received the Messiah in the story. Then there are those, we could put under another heading, called a gradual process. This view would say that the current events to be the, are the beginning of the final restoration of Israel. More and more Jews will gradually return to the land. At some point, they will undergo a national regeneration and salvation, and the Messiah will return. So you can see some elements there now that oh, may resonate a bit. Oh, this is getting close to what we would believe. But when you look at all of the, may I use the word data, the biblical theology of it all, when you look at it all, I'm convinced that the Bible does speak to, and this is unfolded in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 down through chapter 12, about verse 11 or 12, that there are really two worldwide gatherings that are anticipated prophetically. Two, two of these. Listen carefully, this is important. One is a return in unbelief. You cannot have the events that unfold that are spoken of in the prophets and in Matthew 24, 25, and in the book of Revelation and other places, that there will be a gathering, a gathering that will put Israel in a position that it looks a bit foreboding because they're coming there in unbelief, it's not looking to the Messiah many not believing even in God. And so, now, there may be different phases of that, but I personally think that what's happened began inaugurated, it was inaugurated in 1947. This was very significant. I even know of well, one well-known brother in Christ who was not of a, uh, who didn't make a distinction between Israel and the church, who confessed in his writings, and I, I had to read it about three or four times, I said, he, he's really being quite candid. It really shook him up. He was an amillennialist, a well-known man, and a, a good man of God, but it really was shaking him up. And he was trying to reconfigure his thinking about Israel. Now, they're a nation, and it may very well have been, I think, after the 67 war when Israel just overcame overwhelming odds of an invasion that was put upon them. And they ended up taking what became known as the West Bank. It belonged to Jordan. And they, in the city, the uh, city of Jerusalem, the old city, the, 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 what we call the Wailing Wall, it, it came into Israel's possession. I remember being there in 1982, looking around at that part of Jerusalem 
and I could see what, the, what they do. They, I'm off my point. Got to be careful here. But uh, what Israel does, has done in the past, they have left mock marks of war for people to see and remember. They're good about that. Not like Americans who want to play like something never happened. That uh, you could see all these uh, bullet, these uh, shell holes in some of this limestone, this the rock in the city. And you would go along and you would see vehicles that had been uh, taken out by rocket fire, whatever, 67 war. They were just left there. It became kind of like what we would see as a memory marker. They did, they did that. All right, I must hasten on. That's all. All that was just a side note to the fact that Israel is in the land today, I think, in the providence of sovereignty of God, because it is a staging time for what will come in the future. Two, there is a gathering of Israel in belief. You know what you heard from uh, Ezekiel chapter 37, if you were following? Gathering in belief. There will be a turning of the Jews who are in that generation that he will put their trust in the Messiah. Zechariah describes this in vivid terms. Zechariah chapter 12. And in 14, then, is the climactic event of the return of Christ to the Mount of Olives. And, all right, I can't take more time with that, but let's consider something else. The promise of the land, this is the second step we take if you're following along, that this, the promise of the land to Israel in faith. We think about that a little bit more. That is, when I say in faith, it's because you do have a regenerated Jewish population at that time, ethnic Israel regenerated, and that um, this is what I think is anticipated in the promise to Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 13, verse 15, or chapter 15. And there was this movement of Abraham's life for 175 years he lived with a hope that God was going to bring about that promise to fruition, pass along to Isaac and Jacob, even to Joseph, and to those who came after them, even to the Joshua generation and on through the Old Testament. Now, there's, a, there's a, something I need to say anticipating where we're going to end up in Hebrews chapter 11, that naturally there was a worldview, an umbrella-like worldview, that there was the in that worldview were particulars and was the, the big city, the, the, the big uh, picture. So particulars in, as part of the whole. What's the whole? Ah, uh, God, eternity. For one day, the new heavens and the new earth, one day the new Jerusalem would come down to earth, earth, planet earth. Okay, hold that thought, and I will, and... We'll, we'll come back to this. What I want to do now is give you a little walkthrough. And you, if, you can, if you don't turn your Bible, I think it would help if you were looking at the text. I want to show you a few passages. We're going to go through into Isaiah. We're going to go to Jeremiah. We're going to go to Ezekiel. Then we'll go to Zechariah. You with me? All right. Let's take our Bibles and look, and please, in Isaiah chapter 43 and we're going to go to verses 5 through 7. Isaiah. I'm glad I have tabs on my books of the Bible. <laughs> and that helps this old man. And Isaiah chapter 43 
and verses 5 through 7. Oh, Isaiah is just a treasure trove of passages anticipating this uh, final one-day regathering. So Isaiah 43 and verses 5 through 7. Do not fear, for I am with you. Uh, he's going to go on to give here some reasons. Uh, actually, it's in the context, a third reason. For you need to remember Isaiah was doing something comparable to what Ezekiel was doing. These Jews, were, they were uprooted. They, they would be uprooted, taken out of the land and to go to Babylon. And, oh, how unsettling it was. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have, I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. So the Lord is going to display his perfections in drawing back Israel to the land, to the land. Now, yes, understand, there's a coming back in unbelief, but a back in belief. And this is that ultimate coming back in belief to this land, promise to Abraham. What is it? Land, real estate. Can appreciate that. You're sitting in the middle of 19 acres, which we own. That's land. Your house on land. Saying you're being silly. No, I'm not, because some wish to wave over the word land and say it's something else. Okay. All right. Uh, will you look with me? If you're still in Isaiah, go with me to Isaiah 66. And if you really would like to turn fast, you could go over to Ezekiel 31. That's where we're headed. So go with me to Isaiah chapter 66. And we're going to look at verses, uh, well, just verse 20. I think that'll be sufficient. It'll be reflective of the context. There's a lot of, a lot of truth that's to be. I have some special interest in verse 21. I happen to have, uh, to have done um, a master's thesis on verse 21. And, but I can't talk about that right now. All right, look at verse 20 of Isaiah 66. Then they shall bring all your brethren, believing Jews will be brought to Jerusalem, context, from all the nations as a grain offering to the Lord on horses, in chariots, in litters, on mules, on camels, to my holy mountain Israel, says the Lord. Just as the sons of Israel bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. Now for those of you who are looking for contemporary equivalencies, I'm not going to go in that. Is this describing Delta Airlines in other languages? Is this describing um, some other intercontinental ways of communication? We don't need to go there. The Bible was written so that the people who read it and heard it could understand exactly what it meant in their mind, but it would be coming in a real literal sense. All right, still with me? All right, so is the promise. Uh, okay, now you with me to go over to Jeremiah. Oh, on the way to Jeremiah 31, I'm going to stop off at a place uh, in Jeremiah and chapter 16. I think that's... Uh, needs our attention, 16, 14, Jeremiah 16, 14. 
And here's a promise. He's going to say something about restoration. And in this restoration, Israel would rejoice. And you've got to remember, Jeremiah was doing a lot of what Ezekiel and Isaiah were doing. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. You know, Jeremiah, his, his book of Lamentations and his prophecy, I think of that little grotto in the northern part of the city of Jerusalem. We walked by it. We looked at it, and there was a great cavernous, it was a, a rock quarry there in the uh, northern part of the city of Jerusalem. And the, the tradition was is that this was a place where Jeremiah positioned himself and sat. And he watched all of the captives as the Babylonians, Babylonian army was carrying out all the Jews off into captivity, just like a, a bunch of, uh, of cattle herded out. And he wept there and saw what was happening. Oh, but he preached. He prophesied. Look what he says. Here's it. 16 and verses 14 through 16. Notice his language here. And he said, Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no longer be said as the Lord lives who brought up the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But as the Lord lives who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of the north and from all the countries where he had banished them, for I will restore them to their own land, which I gave to their fathers. Behold, I am going to send for many fishermen, declares the Lord, and they will fish for them. And afterwards, I will send for many hunters. They will hunt for them from every mountain and every hill and from the clefts of the rocks. So here's the promise that's unfolded. He's going to regather them down to the last man, woman, and... I understand this to be a time of the great tribulation. There's going to be a gathering of Israel in the land by that time. Now, I need to go quickly. I must pick up the pace here. Jeremiah chapter 31. This is of special interest because this is the place of the location of one of the locations of kind of the, uh, the glowing one, the flagship verses of the new covenant in the Old Testament anticipated. Look, Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the land which I took them. That would have been the Mosaic covenant. It took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach again, every man his neighbor, and every, uh, each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. So there is going to be, there's anticipated this expansive, expansive spiritual experience that will exist in the kingdom. But who's got to be there for this to be realized in this kingdom? It will be the Jews in the land. Now, I'm going to skip over a path. No, I'm going to do this. I read you the passage in Ezekiel and I made a few comments on it. And I, I could take this and some other, a lot of them in Ezekiel. But I want to take one, and I want to give you a quote. I found this uh, 
of, of special interest. It's, I'm not sure he was on the right verse on this, but the fact of who he was and when he said it, it was prescient. And I like his language, and I think he is he's on base when it comes to anticipation of what God will do with Israel. I'm going to read it to you. I'm just going to play with you a little bit. I'm going to read it, and then I'll tell you who said it and when he said it. And uh, here is some of what he said. I'm looking at a couple of long paragraphs, but uh, for example, and this is a sermon, so it's, I can't give you all the context. We do not think enough of it. But certainly, if there is anything promised in the Bible, it is this. I imagine that you cannot read the Bible without seeing clearly that there is to be an actual restoration of the children of Israel. Hallelujah! <laughs> and he goes on further, and he does say this. And in the context of this is Ezekiel 37. And he preached this. The meaning of our text as opened up by the context, is most evidently, if words mean anything, first, that there shall be a political restoration of the Jews to their land, own land and to their own nationality. Then secondly, there is the text that in the context, most plainly, most plain declaration, there shall be a spiritual restoration. And I'm jumping down some sentences in this same paragraph. They are to have a national prosperity which will make them famous, nay, so glorious that they shall be that. And so on, he goes on and elaborates. Thank you, Charles Haddon Spurgeon in 1855 <laughs> for having noticed and said these things. And I could give you other examples that uh, there are some who say, well, oh, this, is just a, this is just a recent manufacturing of some certain theological minds who've seen these. no. Not, not exactly. No, not at all. Now, Zechariah. Will you go with me to Zechariah? Okay, it's not hard to get there. Just go over to the last book, Malachi, and go back two books. Because you've got Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So go with me over to the book of Zechariah. And let me tell you, is Zechariah really, really loaded? And I, uh, I can only scratch the surface. I want to show you just a couple of verses. I, I, by the way, I know the context of these verses, so I can't stop and go through all that. And I'm not just uh, cherry-picking, because these are part of an un a flowing prophecy. That, By the way, Zechariah comes up. This is after the exile. Israel's back in the land. And Israel is, at this point, even having returned, it still has prospects and hopes of some things in the future with regard to the land. Part of it is, uh, this is, and the streets, the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in the streets. You say, why are you reading that? Well, he's looking in the context here of that time when there's going to be a restoration to the land and there's going to be joy in the kingdom and it's not going to be like it has been. You can trust the children to go out and play and it all will be well. All right, okay. Uh, you didn't like that? Well, would you like this one? Um, verses 7 and 8 of, of chapter 8. Thus says the Lord, this is Zechariah chapter 8, 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I'm going to save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. And I will bring them back, and they will live in the midst of Jerusalem. And they will be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. And then in verse 22, I mean, this thing really gets huge here. Same chapter. So many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Jerusalem, the spiritual capital of the world. Not that now. Will be. And then chapter 10, I won't go to the passage, chapter 10, verse 10, the gathering out of Syria, which is really describing they're going to come from places that would be modern day Iraq and Egypt. And then in chapter 12, it describes a siege of Jerusalem. Well, why? How can it happen if they're not there? They will be there. And darker times are coming before the brightness of the coming of Christ comes about. All right, with that, I really pedal fast and much more there, much more, but here's where we want to go. We need to understand something. I'll make statements that I think I've said before. These are unconditional promises, unconditional allowing for the contingencies of individual unbelief and even allowing for at least three dispossessions of the land. There have been three of them. One of them was, of course, it wasn't in disobedience, I don't think, so much as just trying to go somewhere where there was not a drought and there was food, and that's when Jacob and his family, his family came down from the land of Canaan and came to Egypt, and they ended up there for 400 years. But that's not the end of the story. And then there was 721 B.C., and there was 5606 B.C. Students of the Old Testament, oh, let's see, let me count it. Assyria, 722, yes, Babylon, 586. These armies swept in out of the north in subsequent civilizational transfers, and Israel was taken out, out of the land. Oh, a few were left, but taken out, invasion. You know, here is where I had indicated that we we're going to look at the Palestinian covenant. I'll just make this statement. The Palestinian covenant comes up out of Deuteronomy chapters 28, 29, and 30. And it's this, that God says to Israel, it's in the context of the Mosaic covenant, that if you are disobedient to me, he does this in Leviticus 26 as well, you are disobedient. Listen, I've got all kind of good things planned for you in the land. But if you disobey me, you can kiss all that goodbye. And it's going to be awful. And you get these disciplinary actions of the Lord that come upon them. And that you will be displaced and you will be taken out of the land. When you go to Deuteronomy 30 and following, you're going to find that though there is attached to that a promise of an expansive, glorious return to the land. And so this, these dispersions and regatherings, sometimes called the Palestinian Covenant, anticipate that Israel has not yet seen her more glorious, better days, the land. Now remember, they're there in unbelief. Those brave Jewish soldiers, men and women, fighting, fighting. It's a war, folks. It's not, they're not just fighting militants. They're fighting terrorists. And they're fighting and I think, what is it, a couple of, a couple of hundred of, uh, of Jewish soldiers have already been killed. And I'm, I'm aware of the Palestinian people. This side note, I'm off my point, but I've got to say this. I pray for the Palestinians. They're captives. They're not all for Hamas, but they have so little they can say. 
under, they would be shot. They're used as human shields. Pray for the Palestinian people. They're Palestinian, they're Arab Christians who are caught up in all this. How would you, what would you do in such a situation? So we don't want to make the, the Arabs are not the bad guys. It's a theological, it's really a theological war that's taking place there. You know that. Yes, land is the occasion, but it's ultimately theological. Wish I had time to go into that, but another time and place. I want to get to this. The promise of the land has not been fulfilled. This is my third step, if you're following in the outline. Joshua and Solomon, I have to be brief, but I'll, I'll try to do it as best I can. Get it in a capsule. Joshua and Solomon had responsibilities to take the land, but they never occupied. Even at the end of Joshua's invasion of the land, bringing Israel in and setting up the tribes in their tribal locations, laid out in the book of Joshua, that there was never full occupation of the expansion of the territorial limits that are laid out in Genesis chapter 15. And so it was with Solomon as well. That's all I have time to say there, but I will say this. I've got to get to the conclusion. I will say this, that what we have existing, if you take a literal, grammatical, historical interpretation of the scriptures and you take words for what they mean, there's plain literal and figurative literal. I get that. Don't make those, don't make literal competitive with non-literal in the Bible. It's all literal. It's just figurative literal and plain literal, just the way we talk, the way we function, figures of speech and symbols and even types, that kind of thing. But there are these these three essential issues that are involved, and I'll mention them briefly here. Oh, look, when you go through the Old Testament and you then come up to the first coming of Christ, what have you found to be true? Literal fulfillment. Let's read the book of just Micah. Bethlehem. There are no playing with words there. And so there's a literal fulfillment in the first coming of Christ. Secondly, if Israel is turned into the church, which some of my friends do, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. We have good friendships. I'm not, they're not my enemies. It's kind of a lover's quarrel, as it were. But no, no I'm not a Jew. I got 1% in my DNA. But I'm, not, I'm not a spiritual Jew. You are not. No. No, they are. Oh, okay, got to stay with this point. If Israel is not Israel and it's the church, you want to go back and you want to interpret that, what's, where it says Israel, and turn it into the church. What do you do with Edom and Moab and those other places? What do they become? Uh, all right, I'll leave it there. I think, I want to be, be careful here. I think God's character has something to come to it. If I'm Abraham, if I'm Isaiah, if I'm Jeremiah, and I'm Ezekiel, and I'm those Jews who lived in those days and those times and heard these prophets and heard these promises which we've been through, what am I thinking? What am I thinking? I'm thinking, oh, land. Oh, that, oh, that land that the Lord has promised for us, and oh, how it's going to be so wonderful, so good, so rich, so real, so, so uh, joyful and satisfying. And then, guess what? No, 
I'm sorry, you forfeited those. The church got all that. You don't get all that. Uh, make the adjustments. Oh, okay, now you can say theologically. Well, I guess they did. Resurrection body got in the mouth. Well, okay. Well, we just went with what we had. Uh, am I making sense here? I mean, that's the way I've functioned for all my Christian life with this. When I was a young man, I would see these kinds of things. I said, well, I guess that's just the way my mind works. I take God at his word. And let's go from there. I conclude. The fourth final step. There are prophecies that are to be fulfilled before the land as Israel's in faith. What did I say? There's a return to the land in unbelief, and there's a return to the land in belief. There are some things that have got to happen. I don't have time to unfold them. There's the start of the tribulation. There's the, because of the unfolding, the seven, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. There's the covenant that is made with the Antichrist. And then this covenant is broken in the middle of the seven years, according to Daniel 9, 24 through 27. And uh, there will be held to pay for what Israel will have been deceived by the Antichrist, who will make these great promises along with his cohorts, the false prophet, and his, uh, those who follow him. And so, uh, what do we say? What do we say? I... I need to get to this because this is so important. Two conclusions. This is part of this final step here. What are we to say about Israel's possession of the land today? Do they have a right to the land? I I think certainly they have to have the right to the land by virtue of what the United Nations gave to Israel as the land grant. I mean, is that, let's not argue about that, 1947. It's, they're, they're there legitimately. And But here's what you are hearing today. Gaza calls, we respond. Palestine will be free because when we resist, we win together. Cease genocide, cease the siege, cease the blockade, cease occupation, cease funding Israel, cease settler colonization, cease cease Zionism, cease cease imperialism. The social media, goes on and on and on with these kinds of things and the signs that we see in these marches that are taking place. I want to tell you that what we need to be doing, grant Israel, if you aren't still aren't convinced that Israel has a right to be where they are as a people, you would have to pray for them and think and have mercy, ask God's mercy because of what they're, that little sliver of land. I mean, millions and millions, you, you look at a map, uh, David Jeremiah has a very helpful map in his book, Is This the End? And it shows all of these uh, nations, these Muslim nations, from the Atlantic Ocean to the Indian Ocean. And uh, the millions, was it nine, I can't remember the exact figure, 100 millions of acres. And then you've got a little sliver in there of like 9,000 something square miles. And that's Israel. And they say, we want it, we want it, we want it. Why? You look at it and say, there's something going on here that's bigger than just a, uh, a poverty of real estate. No. Oh, no. So pray that evil will be overcome wherever it shows its head. Pray God will keep Israel in safety. I pray for Israel. I pray for this war. Pray for Palestinians. I'm not forgetting my two Palestinian pastor friends in Oh, this is, I can't say again where it is, but we'll pray for them. But keep that in mind. That's all I, there are other things I wanted to say, but I wanted to hurry along to something. And it's this.
you know, we came to this piece of property in 1978. You weren't here. Some of you weren't even born yet at that time. And God chose to do some wonderful things. We had a piece of land, and we paid as we went. We never got in debt. Not a pat on the back. It's a thankfulness to God for his faithfulness because we were not wealth. We're not a wealthy congregation. We just were patient and delayed gratification. And we have 20 acres, and it's all paid for. We've seen young people come to Christ and grow up in him and go to the mission field and serve him even to this day. And there are those of you who have been nurtured in the faith and have come along in the word as we together have sought the Lord and sought to understand his word. You know, as we've done this, and I'm not saying that this is all, everything like this happens on this 20 acres. Well, will you allow me to expand my imagination a little bit? Well, more than that, reality. You know, when you come to Christ and when we set out on this venture in 1978 and 82, here, this place, we knew there'd be hardships. Oh, Abraham. Abraham, chapter 11, 8 through 12, 8 through 10. Okay, I, w I want you to get that. Please get that. We're going to, we don't need to go through it again. Because we're told in, 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 in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abraham went on through life with an expectation because he saw a city whose builder and maker. Some want to make that a dissolution of the land promises and say, oh, well, he... The land, that's no, he's looking to heaven. He's not looking to earth. Not so fast, folks. You know what really happened? Oh, time is a thief here. The church began to deal with some problems early on in its history. Because there was the view as the Jewish church became not as robust, and it was more of a Gentile church up into the second, second century, that... What began to happen is you begin to see a certain view of Israel, of the church. We've taken Israel's place. Israel is they're out of the picture. Some very, very awful things were said. And I will tell you this, that it, to our shame in the body, of, in the church over the centuries, there has been fostered some anti-Semitism and anti-Judaism, two different things as a result of this hostility toward the Jew as not being in the plan of God further and hopefully for their renewal in the land and regeneration and enjoyment of the kingdom. So back to this Abraham journey through life. He endured hardships. We do. We've had some hardships. Have we ever? <laughs> we have hardships that we've had to work through like Abram had to work through. We live in a culture. Is our culture ever against us now? So I really feel like you're on the other end of a gun in the firing squad. Christians are now the bad guys everywhere you look. So hardships go with this promise of living for, by the promises of God. That's what I'm trying to say. Hardships come with living by the promises of God. They're not contradictory. And obstacles come with living by the promises of God like Abraham did. Abraham had his obstacles. By my, when he was 99 and Sarah was 90, God said, you're going to have a child. Hello? <laughs> what? 
And it did. It was Isaac. And then to add to that, Isaac, I want you to offer up, offer up my son, your son Isaac. What? He went obstacles. How did he work that out? I think I know some of the, the, the how the faith worked there. Obstacles. There will be things living by the promises of God that will, you and I will encounter that we can't always get immediate connections. But we trust God. We trust God. We don't give up. We don't stay home and, and, and watch some airing program on television in the place of meeting with God's people and worshiping Him. Ah, but there's also perseverance that's necessary. People who live by promises persevere. Uh, be careful now. We don't have to persevere to prove that we're saved. We persevere to show that we love God. And the degree to which we persevere, we're rewarded. And we live by faith in that process. That's true perseverance. It's not, well, if you stumble and fall, you're out. Uh, let's keep, keep it right. There will be, there's to be faithfulness along the way. Keep going, keep going, keep going. You say, well, Lord, I'm almost at the end of life. And I thought maybe things, maybe things could have smoothed out. Why all these speed bumps? Why these twists and turns? And Stay with it. Trust God, trust God, trust God. Don't run off with your tail between your legs, if you could do that. <laughs> Don't stay with the Lord. Stay with his people. Live by the promises. And then, you know, let, let that eternal hope that Abraham had, he did. But it wasn't because he had jettisoned his promise of the land. It was because simply the land was a part of that promise of the coming kingdom. And then it, it went on, merged on into the eternal kingdom. And where is heaven going to be? It's going to be on this earth. A world like you can't even begin to imagine. This world, new heavens, new earth. And so the particulars, the details are bound up in the larger picture, living by what? Energized by that hope of eternal life. Now, in case you missed it, I just spelled out H-O-P-E for you. <laughs> Let that stick to our minds and we'll trust God. He's got better things. He's got a future for us in him. Let's keep on persevering in faithfulness, serving him. This isn't the only 20 acres where God is working. Thank God for that. But, but we're here. We're who we are. We love God. And Lord, we want to do everything we can to see this place just resonate with seeking your glory and seeking the lost and expanding the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Thank you, O Father, for your goodness and mercies to us. Lord, we don't come, oh, you don't owe us anything. But we want to give you our all because you've redeemed us and our bodies don't belong to us any longer. They belong to you. We do. Lord, if there's one man, woman, boy, or girl this morning who has never come before you for redemption, forgiveness of sin, eternal life, give them, Lord, the convicting work of the Spirit to culminate in believing on the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Thank you, Father, for your mercies to us in Christ's name. Amen. All right.